Is the murderer you know? Greetings. <laughs> that sounds ominous. <laughs> Did it? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How are you? Ah, great. How about you? Good. Always an upper to talk about something depressing and horrific <laughs> yeah I guess so well mm. it's been two weeks since you told us about the duck eggs well we're up to... I looked it up and it said it would be 28 days if there were going to be ducklings well my feeling is would you really lay them you know they're up to like nine so do they all hatch at the same time doesn't really I'm make not sense. sure one of my coworkers was saying that it wasn't about ducks, I don't think. I don't remember what kind of bird it was, but he was saying that they will lay eggs like that, one here and one there and two there, but they don't start sitting on them until they're all laid, and then oh. that way they all hatch at the same time. So I guess until the warmth is introduced, they just sit there and do nothing? Huh. Well, we only saw one duck in the backyard today, so maybe maybe the day has arrived. Maybe she's sitting on them. Mm. We shall see. Maybe the next time we talk, we'll be talking ducklings. No, you said 28 days till they hatch? Mm-hmm. Still got some time. She didn't sit there for 28 days. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of a long time. Well, but ducklings do, they hatch out pretty fully formed. Mm. It's not like, a, you know, a baby robin, which is just sort of this naked, mm -hmm. you know, mouth that's mm -hmm. just squawking. So I guess it does take a while to get something that's going to hatch out that can immediately, it's all feathered out. It mm -hmm. can walk, it can follow, it can swim. So we shall see. We shall. We'll keep you updated. Well, welcome back, feathered friends, to episode <laughs> 46. Ooh. It's a part two. Last week, we were talking about a horrible event, which occurred on January 6th, 2017, hmm. and an interview with police on January 9th. Now, revelations to this point, as a reminder, included that the couple involved in this, what apparently the police were calling a domestic incident from the beginning, hmm. that they were in an unhappy marriage, the fact that the blood evidence didn't match a suicide, the small detail that the gun which killed his wife was his, the bankruptcy, the probable impending divorce filing, so on and so forth. Oh, wait, wait, you missed the best part of all. What? The other gun belonging. To oh, him in the bathtub? Found in the bathtub <laughs> under his bony butt when they 
hold him out and drain the blood. Yeah, that was a big one too. <laughs> That's my favorite. So those are some of the revelations. Now, after the husband recovered, because remember, he was shot too in this scenario. He He went shot in the scenario, huh? Yeah, he was shot in the scenario. (laughs) Very serious. He went home with his kids. Hmm. I wonder how the kids felt about that. I don't know. Now, if you guys aren't seriously suspicious of this 55-year-old man we are (laughs) and police were but they wanted to turn every single stone in the pursuit of finding the truth and bringing whoever killed his wife to justice good plan and they really wanted to build an airtight case okay So once this guy went home, they didn't slow down in their investigation after he collected his kids and went back to the home where his 51-year-old wife had been viciously attacked and murdered. To live, by the way, like he didn't move. He and his kids stayed in that house. Wow. The officers kept investigating for just over two years. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about some of the additional evidence and details that they found during this time, which they later brought to the trial. You know, it's amazing to me that the two guns that belonged to him weren't sort of enough, but it's good they, you know, they did their due diligence. So let's hear what else they found. I agree. And we're going to talk like just... We're going to talk very briefly about something that I find very strange at the end. Yeah, in addition to his guns being the guns not being enough to take this to trial. Now, as far as the security of the home, there was no sign of forced entry anywhere, which is important because remember, initially, the husband was kind of, sort of, throwing out vibes that maybe there had been an intruder. Mm-hmm. Now, all the windows and doors were found to be completely intact. No screens with tears in them. No little, <laughs> like, paint chip marks from someone prying away at the window. Nothing. So that was big in showing that there likely was not any sort of intruder. Right. The detectives also did extensive ballistics testing with the weapons to really prove that these were the weapons, right? They didn't want there to be any question in that. Now, remember, there were projectile entry points in the bathroom wall and in the tub. So in order to create this airtight case they were really going for, they tested these weapons. They fired them underwater. They fired them from different distances into similar surfaces to see if they could create evidence matching the holes in the bathroom and the blood evidence at the scene. I guess he could have shot into the walls before he got into the tub. Yeah. Which would certainly give the impression that somebody else was firing from a distance. Are you fully... He's guilty. You're just not entertaining any other theory. I'm on the jury. I'm going to stand up at the trial and say, don't waste any more time. Just send his ass to jail. But I wonder why, in my mind, I wonder why he fired these shots into the bathroom wall. Was he trying to make it look like his wife was just hysterically shooting at him from some distance? 
Well, he never claimed that she was involved. I think he's going, he's sticking with that. It was a home invasion. This guy ran into the I don't know, ran into the house, got both of his guns, came into the bathroom, shot wildly all over the place, dropped the gun in the tub, and then ran with the other gun into the bedroom and killed his wife and rolled her over nicely in bed. But why make it look like she had committed suicide? Or maybe maybe he should have gone with the theory that she was the shooter because she would have had access to the guns. Mm-hmm. And then she felt so horrible, she killed herself. Mm-hmm. Much better story. He should have thought of that. You aren't one. the only person that thought that was a much better story. <laughs> oh, don't tell me. He changed his story. <laughs> How many times have we heard this? Ah, the more than we can, can count at this point. The people have a story and they're like, in the 11th hour, oh, wait. <laughs> They had time to realize that, you know, he (laughs) thought about it and he realized that the intruder story was pretty stupid. So he came up with a new one. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So back to the forensics team examining these weapons. They had to repeatedly test what these guns would do if fired underwater, see if they could possibly create the sort of smeared blood staining that was observed on the wife, which is not expected in a suicide. Right. They had to attempt to recreate the absence of blood on her hand, even though the defense's theory was that she shot herself. (laughs) Or, or, you know, initially that she was shot and fell, which either way would cause blood to drip down onto the gun because gravity, which did not happen. So they're seeing if they could recreate that. They had to fire the guns and look at the striations to see if they matched the bullets found at the scene, see if they could reproduce those same markings. And I'm sure all of this takes some time. Yeah. They also conducted hundreds of interviews with friends, coworkers, family members, the couple's young children to unveil the dynamic between the couple and between the family as a larger group. Mhm. One friend who had known the couple for 25 years said that over time he observed a sort of chilled aspect develop in their relationship. Chilly. And he started to see them together less and less often. He told investigators and later testified in court that in 2014 or 2015, he became aware of financial problems impacting the couple. Hmm. Well, the somebody, one of them must have told him. Yeah, it sounded like they talked to this guy about a lot of different things going on in their lives and in their relationship. And he also overheard some things. Embarrassingly, I think, I mean, I don't know, it doesn't seem like this husband in this situation was embarrassed by much, but this (laughs) friend heard part of a phone call where the husband placed all of the blame for the financial situation they were in on his wife. Is this before or after she was killed? Before. Oh, okay. He said that she was responsible for incurring a very large amount of debt and that You know, it was her fault, and she needed to basically figure a way out of it. Boom. 
He also apparently felt no need to assist in any way and called her stupid on top of several other names that the friend found to be very inappropriate for the tone of the conversation. Well, this man isn't even working yet. He he feels like he can criticize the only breadwinner for all of her mistakes. Good point. It's a very good point. (laughs) He seems to be delusional but I don't know this friend also said that the overall tone and just attitude of the conversation was incredibly unpleasant we used to have friends and you know they would just complain about each other in front of us constantly and it's it's awkward and embarrassing and Mm -hmm. uncomfortable Mm -hmm. yeah that's true And I'm sure they're unhappy and they didn't have anyone to talk to. They're obviously not talking to each other, but I don't know. True. Get a therapist, I guess, or a (laughs) random stranger. I don't know. Yeah, go start riding the bus every day and just talk to the person in the seat next to you. (laughs) Although I guess in this case, it might be, it might turn out to be good that they were sharing all of this with their family. Very true. Very true. Makes more witnesses at the trial. Yeah. Yeah, this same friend said that during a conversation in 2015, his longtime pal had nothing good to say about his wife. And this is two years before. Yeah. He said, quote, he had nothing positive, nothing good to say about her. He often used foul language associated with her. He called her bitch. He called her a fat slob. He called her a variety of different names. Wow. He also told this guy that he had been married before and, quote, would not go through another divorce. Oh, mm-hmm. this guy also occasionally discussed the marriage with the wife. And she said that she felt very trapped, but would never leave her husband because she didn't want to separate her children. She also said that she was fearful of her husband because he basically was, she felt trapped. So Mm. he kind of trailed off there. I don't know what he was going to say or if he just couldn't quite put words to it. Mm. Also interviewed was the wife's supervisor at work, who testified that around the time of her death, she often appeared very disheveled at work and seemed like she was under pressure. Under pressure. She was also able to testify to things like the wife working from home that day. She told investigators that her employee told her on January 5th that she planned to work from home on the 6th. And that she checked in with her on the 6th via email several times and was active in work folders until approximately 2.42 p.m. Remember, Mm. the daughter got home at 3.30. So just sort of helping to establish a timeline. timeline. Right. Mm -hmm. So she was working from home. Mm -hmm. A co-worker of the wife who was interviewed told detectives that his co-worker occasionally mentioned wanting to get her own apartment with her kids. Although she didn't even know this coworker that well, even he was aware that the family was in a pretty bad financial situation and that the mother was thinking of leaving her husband. Hmm. So apparently everybody knew this marriage was in trouble. Seems that way. Because, I mean, yeah, that was 
not even a coworker she was incredibly close with. Mm. She did have a coworker who was also interviewed. They had worked together for 25 years. And this coworker described the wife as her sister and her best friend. <sighs> she said she frequently heard her friend on the phone with her husband who was yelling at her and berating her. And she said when she asked her friend why she stayed, she would indicate that she was doing it for the kids. But mm. by 2016, she told her friend that she was thinking about leaving the marriage. Mm. She testified that she had not known her friend to ever have mental health issues and also that she was indeed right-handed. Yeah, I would think your coworkers would know what hand you used. <laughs> That's true. After 25 years. <laughs> In addition to these firsthand interviews, other evidence was brought to trial as well that was collected during this two-year investigation. Mm. Messages between the victim and her sister were entered as evidence from as recently as December 2nd, 2016, where she told her sister, quote, I'm going to be filing for divorce soon. Mm. So she finally was pulling the plug. Mm -hmm. An email she sent herself from her personal account to her work account titled Info on Divorce was also shared at trial. In this email, she noted lots of different things that were happening in their relationship. There was some key information in there, such as the fact that she had been looking for the family passports and birth certificates, but found that they had been removed from the folders where they were stored at the home. She also noted in the email that she asked her husband if he took them, which he denied, but she overheard him telling their son not to tell her anything. So just sort of evidence that he was being dishonest with her, keeping things from her that she could use in her divorce. It's very odd, though, that he would have, I mean, why would he want the passports and the birth certificates? Strange. Don't you think? Yeah, it is strange. I'm not sure what he would have wanted them for unless he was yes trying to take the kids from her or maybe he, without her, her knowledge. I don't know. Or maybe he thought that she was going to flee the country with the kids. I mean, that makes no sense. Yeah, it's where he supposedly had them, according to these notes in the email, was at his mom's house. And if you remember from last week, his mom was, I don't know, we just had one brief quote from her that he shared during his interview that she warned him that his wife was going to snatch all of his stuff and leave. Oh, right, right. So I don't know. All his... of his stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if his mom and him were suspicious of the wife if she had poisoned her son against his wife if <laughs> yeah they seem to be hiding things from her that they didn't want her to get her hands on I mean we don't have an incredible amount of insight into their relationship just these little snippets so it's hard to say <sighs> yeah I don't know well you know, parents, especially mothers of sons, seem to be so protective and, yes, thinking, my poor baby, this awful woman. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Now, while later at trial, the defense presented him as a loving family man, the Commonwealth also discovered... Not me, man. I'm thinking murder. Murder, she wrote. (laughs) Yeah, the Commonwealth also discovered three audio recordings on the victim's phone during their investigation, which, of course, were entered as evidence, which revealed... The truth of how this man interacted with his wife and his kids, at least sometimes. I'm not saying he was like this all the time. It's three recordings across a 25-year marriage. But, or no, not 25. I don't know. A long (laughs) marriage. The friend had known them for 24 years. I guess that doesn't mean they were married that whole time. Well, that's true. That is true. So in the first recording, taken after his wife failed to clean up the back porch, he can be heard saying, you should have done that weeks ago. Lazy ass uh motherfucker. It's supposed to be done. These are just little, there was a lot more to the recording. These are just the highlights. (laughs) He actually used those words. These are yes quotes from the recording. Wow. Wow. In the second, he could be heard saying, shut the door, you fucking animal. When his wife responded, I am shutting the door, he replied, motherfucking idiot. Whoa. He then berated his family members, stating, quote, all I ask is that you fucking clean up. You can't fucking do it. You won't fucking do it. Do a half-assed job. Do it with a fucking attitude. Lying bastards. I'm guessing he's talking to his children. Yes. All of them. His children and his wife. Wow. He later was heard shouting, shut the door, fucking pig. (sighs) So, nice guy. And the third, he can be heard shouting at his daughter, saying... How ridiculously stupid are you? You've become like your mother being stupid all the time. What a prince. I I mean, I've given him the death penalty just for this. (laughs) I mean, what a way to talk to your children. I know. And your your wife. It's sad. It's very sad. And that he. Yes. I don't know. Went back to his, his kids had to live with him after he, I don't know, killed their mom, as far as we can tell, (laughs) and treated them like this on a regular basis. But maybe without the stress in his marriage anymore, maybe he was nicer to them after he killed their mother. Ugh. Poor kids. Poor kids indeed. Statements were also collected from experts. The lead crime scene detective made statements saying that some of the things in the master bedroom were just kind of odd, including the positioning of the body, the tip of the gun sort of under her belly, the blood stains that clearly indicated parts of her body were in blood and then moved out of blood and repositioned, even though her injury was such that she would not have been able to move on her own. The significant amount of blood on the top of her thumb, which was not near any other blood and was on top of the gun, thus defying gravity in addition (laughs) to everything else. 
I tell you, criminals need to watch Law and Order. They would learn these things. You can't move the body after you. You can't make it stage it better. Ooh, let me do this, do that. Too late, too late. Or they don't need to watch Law and Order. <laughs> I don't know if we need people out here getting better at crime. You know, I was thinking last night how the people that we've talked about, how incredibly stupid they they are <laughs> and all the mistakes they make. And I'm thinking criminals are stupid. But on the other hand, we are talking about the people who got caught. Right. They're probably smarter people who did watch Law and Order, who figured it all out <laughs> and had a good story from the get-go. And yes. they got away with it. Yes. I think I pointed that, I mentioned that when we were talking <laughs> about this in the past couple of weeks recording. We are often covering solved cases. So the people that we're talking about presumably did make lots of mistakes since they yes. were caught yes. and arrested and are in, in jail now. There are Oops. there are unsolved crimes. Many, many. We don't talk about too many of them. I think only one. Two. One question mark and then the Parkway murders. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yes, we're we're dealing mostly with the stupid people who got <laughs> caught. These are not the criminal masterminds. <laughs> Thank goodness a lot of them don't seem to be criminal masterminds. That's right. At least in terms of justice. Thank God. One of the other experts was the physician who treated the husband at the hospital. This physician stated that the gray small spots embedded in the skin near the wound on the leg were gunshot residue and that the gun must have been within centimeters of the skin. Which wow. is kind of weird, right? Since the husband said he didn't see anyone. <laughs> well, remember, he was in pain. I guess his... it was while he had soap in his eyes that they <laughs> shot him in the leg. And this person, this random house invader, didn't just bust into the bathroom, shoot the place up. Then he leaned over and put the gun <laughs> underwater and shot the guy in the leg. The leg was probably out of water, unless they had a really big tub. Aren't the legs oh, sort of like maybe up, sort of lounged on the, <laughs> I don't know where his leg was. Remember he had a leg cramp. Maybe it was like sticking out in the air all crazy. <laughs> maybe he had a cramp because he'd been shot in the leg and he didn't realize it. <laughs> oh, that, that could be, that could be, should be on his defense team. <laughs> Another interesting thing that this physician pointed out, remember the laceration, and this was just a brief mention, between his fingers? Oh, yeah. And initially they thought maybe this could have been caused by a bullet that like skimmed right between his fingers. Yeah. Well, this person, who by the way, they weren't just a physician, they were a forensic surgeon. Okay. So they did have expertise in this area. They said this might have occurred because the husband was holding the barrel of the gun while shooting and the barrel slid forward and caught his skin when the gun was fired, hmm. thus indicating he may have fired a gun, which also did not fit in with his story. No. 
And other things were happening leading up to the trial, of course. One significant thing was that the victim's niece sued for custody of her cousins in 2018. Thank God. I know. During this court proceeding, the husband testified under oath that he did know his wife filed for bankruptcy and that he did chat with her about the paperwork on the day she died, which he tried to deny later. Originally. And later. Oh, Oh, and later. He goes to trial. He tries to deny knowing anything about the bankruptcy paperwork or that they discussed it that day. But the problem is (laughs) he had admitted to it in this trial for custody of his children. So this is another thing that brought his honesty and integrity into question because it's another aspect of his story that changed. It's just, it's just bizarre. He also made statements during this custody trial that he didn't hear any sounds similar to gunfire in his home on the 6th while he was in the bath. Even with the bullets ricocheting around the bathroom, he heard no gunshots. That is correct. At least, at least that's what he tried to say, which I'm assuming is another part of the story that changed since it was pointed out as kind of a difference here. Now, after two years of painstakingly piecing all of this together, in February 2019, the father was taken into custody and indicted, mostly without incident. Wait, I have to... Just jump back to 2018. Did the cousin get the kids or not? I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. Unfortunately, with these opinions, not all of the details are already there because the opinion is focusing on one thing. Do we grant this appeal? Right, right. And so the important details are there, the reasons they didn't grant the appeal, but not all of the details that I would like are always there. And compounding that, this all happened in a part of Virginia that doesn't put their criminal records on the state log where all of the other ones are. Hmm. So I can't see things like the charges and did he plead guilty or not. I can't see any of that in the database that I usually use. So... I can't fill in as many of the gaps. And there's not going to be an article anywhere from some newspaper about whether or not, at least not that I found. I was thinking he didn't plead guilty because then on what grounds would he appeal? But he did not plead guilty. No. Yeah. People do plead guilty and then appeal saying it was momentary insanity or whatever, or my lawyer lied to me. So I guess he could have still pled guilty and still filed a plea. That couple, the niece and her husband, did eventually get custody of the kids, but I don't know if it happened at this custody hearing in 2018 or later after he went to jail or what. All right, so they indict him and he's taken to trial. Yeah, and this occurred mostly without incident. There was a bystander, actually, who shared the officer's activities on social media while they were Hmm. going to arrest this man. Which actually tipped the husband off and he almost got away, which I thought was an interesting little sprinkle. I wonder who this person was and how I don't know. I assumed it was a neighbor, maybe. I guess. Saw the SWAT team out in the neighborhood (laughs) or something. I guess. (laughs) You know, maybe if you see a SWAT team, you should figure, oh, they're coming to pick up a criminal. Yeah. Maybe I should just duck down and mind my own business. The officers did say there are times when 
if you see police doing something, you should say something. It's possible that police can make mistakes and do something they shouldn't do. But there's a time and a place for that. You know, the (laughs) detectives and officers involved in this case said, and the time and place is not when members, this was a quote from the police chief, members of our team are trying to do the right thing. And that's take a person wanted for murder into custody safely. Right. Now, the officers didn't really share a lot of details on why this whodunit took them so long to solve, but they shared that complex cases truly do take work and that they wanted to take their time to be sure to get the investigation right. Well, yeah, I mean, I appreciate that, but it does seem, I guess, these poor children had to linger for two years. Yeah, and after his arrest, he actually tried to get out on bond to be with his children, which was one of the things that made me think it's possible the niece hadn't gotten custody yet. Except they had to have been living with somebody else. They couldn't have been alone in the house waiting for him to come home, I wouldn't think. I mean, they probably went and lived with someone once he was taken to jail, yeah. But the judge ruled that he was too much of a safety risk to the public at large, even though he'd been with the public at large for two years <laughs> to yeah, get but, out on bond. But now he was, I would guess, a, a flight risk and might shoot 20 people on his way to the airport to escape. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. Now, he was brought before the courts facing charges of first-degree murder and use of a firearm in the commission of a murder. And with the two years of evidence piled against him, And with all of the witnesses and experts testifying at the trial to the statements they made over the past two years and all of the gaps and inconsistent evidence that didn't line up with the defense's story, he did plead not guilty. And the defense said that his wife killed herself, that she had become (laughs) increasingly isolated and that she had recently been passed over for a promotion He, by this time, had abandoned the intruder story. I don't know if it was his idea to abandon the intruder story or his defense team's idea. But whatever the case was, the jury disagreed (laughs) with everything the defense tried to present. What a surprise. Now, go ahead and guess. Just take a wild guess. Now, remember, first degree murder, that's 20 years to life. Mm Mm-hmm. Just take a wild guess. How long do you think this guy was sentenced for? How many years? Well, I would have given him life, but they probably sentenced him, I don't know, 10 years? He was sentenced in August of that same year to 39 years in prison for his crime. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, he was well, he was 55, so but they probably figured that was life. But True. That, was there parole back then? Or was this after there was no parole? Gosh, that's a great question. It's been so long since we talked about (laughs) parole. I think I'm trying. I think this was after there was parole, but I don't remember a date on that. Yeah, if there was no parole, 39 years, he would have been basically 100. So I guess that was life. Yeah. He was found guilty and sentenced, but then he filed a plea. He did. He filed an appeal. Oh, an appeal. I can't tell you how many times I have said plea when I meant appeal in this show (laughs) and had to like erase it when I'm editing. (laughs) I don't know why. They're very easy words to mix up. We should be legal experts by now. But anyway. We should. Everyone makes 
mistakes. <laughs> Especially this guy. So he filed an appeal based on. Yes. So he filed an appeal in 2022 based on he argued that the trial court erred in denying his motion to strike evidence for two reasons. One, because the evidence did not exclude every reasonable hypothesis of innocence and did not demonstrate <laughs> that he committed an act which caused the victim's death. And two, because the evidence was insufficient to prove that he used a firearm in the commission of a murder. Now, basically what this guy is arguing, I just want to break this down because to me, it's insane. Basically what he is arguing is that they didn't rule out every other possibility that was a reasonable explanation of his wife's murder. Like someone else coming into the home, opening his safe, taking out both of the guns and shooting the two in a double murder attempt. Here is my question. Couldn't the same be said for any murder ever? Unless it's literally like caught on surveillance video. Couldn't you I mean, always say an alien spaceship landed <laughs> in the backyard and they came? Like there could always be. Yeah, a time traveler <laughs> morphed into my living room and started shooting or into my bathroom in this case, obviously. But if you're filing an appeal and you basically have nothing, you go with what you got, which I mean, is, yeah, there could have been 5,000 other bizarre explanations. I think he should have gone with his teenage daughter came in, shot him and her mother before <laughs> calling 911. I mean, you know, yeah. why not? Yeah. I just think it's so weird because I feel like, I feel like, yeah, every murder that's ever occurred, they could say that. You didn't, you could never rule out all of the other possibilities. Right, right. This was one to me, <laughs> truly, we have looked at a lot of appeals and this was one to me where I was like, are you joking? Yeah, we've actually listened to appeals that I thought, yeah, I mean, makes sense. He has a point, but you're right. I mean, just too much, too much. Yeah. And, and you this... think sometimes the court just wants to roll their eyes and say, mm -hmm. <laughs> for God's sake. I feel like you can just see the eye roll through the response <laughs> and maybe they should just say we're fining your lawyers for wasting the court's time with this nonsense we're disbarring them <laughs> yeah this appeal is weird to me and it goes all the way back to his trial because remember that one of the points was that they wouldn't let him strike evidence hmm. was one of his points and what he wanted to strike was that he argued that the evidence was insufficient to exclude the reasonable hypothesis that Donna first shot him and then shot herself. Yeah, he's he's going with that story now, but he probably didn't take the stand himself. So he mm -hmm. wasn't able to, they weren't able to say, hey, dude, what about this ridiculous story about somebody breaking in? Mm-hmm. But I mean, was he really married to that yeah. changed story? Well, it's like he he didn't really have a well-evolved story there, like you're kind of alluding to right now. He basically just said, oh, maybe I heard a sound. Maybe I had a feeling there was someone there. So I guess it's easy enough to backtrack on that. And they did try to backtrack to this suicide theory. And there was 
you know, we've heard this rational fact finder thing a lot. And in the appeal, the court basically said a rational fact finder would still find you guilty. We... (laughs) visited this suicide thing. We eliminated that. She wasn't suicidal. There was no intruder that came into your house and opened your safe somehow that only you and your (laughs) wife could open and took your guns out and shot at you guys like crazy. Your wife was not left-handed. Like all of this stuff. She didn't move. She didn't move after she was dead. She couldn't have moved. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Basically, you know, and like I said, we've seen this in a lot of these appeals. It's that viewing all of the evidence in its totality, a rational trier of fact could have found that the appealant's hypothesis of innocence, that his wife committed suicide after first. Now, remember, this is after he abandoned, like you said, this (laughs) intruder alert, intruder alert, aliens, cowboys, (laughs) time travelers, whatever, that his wife committed suicide suicide after first shooting him was unreasonable and that in fact the appealant shot his wife attempted to shape the crime scene to depict a suicide and then fired shots in the bathroom and shot himself to conceal his guilt and implicate his wife thus because a rational fact finder could believe that incriminating interpretation of the evidence and disbelieve the exculpatory one it cannot be said that the trial court erred in denying the appealant motion to strike and submitting appealant's case to the jury i roll from the court saying seriously absolutely i just feel like what is that thing hammer hammer time the gavel the gavel bam bam (laughs) gavel slam you're done you're done. Yeah. And sometimes we listen to these appeals and you think, well, that that does have some validity. And some of the people that we have talked about, I have felt very sorry for mm-hmm. them, especially the young people who are just so stupid, who aren't even able to conceptualize what the next morning is going to be after, right. you know, they just think they're going to drive to California and live happily ever after. But this guy, no, he yeah. is, there is nothing redeeming about him and yes he he had a condition which I can't even pronounce I think you were able to (laughs) yeah maybe he was driven to the brink of insanity by ulcerative colitis they didn't try that as a defense yeah I mean and it is I'm sure it's painful yeah we're not making fun of let's be clear because last week we laughed at this guy a lot a lot like I feel like we (laughs) laughed for about 20 minutes we were talking about the bathtub debacle we are not (laughs) making fun of ulcerative colitis I'm sure it's horribly uncomfortable painful debilitating invisible illnesses are real and they're horrible and atrocious but this guy just makes it so easy to make fun of him like what a trash human well, and to dislike him. I mean, the the way he talked to his wife, the way he talked to his children. Ugh. I don't care what kind of pain or agony you're in. Do mm. not brutalize and humiliate your family. Yeah, I think it's definitely a little bit of a different case for us. You know, like you said, it's harder to relate to this guy on any level. He didn't he doesn't seem to have suffered some horrible abuse. He doesn't seem to have been a confused child that, like you said, thought he was going to ride off into the sunset with his girlfriend to California. (laughs) He just seemed to be an asshole who wanted to get his way, didn't want the embarrassment of a divorce. And he was selfish. Well, 
what will the next week bring now that we've slammed the gavel down on (laughs) this guy (laughs) well next week we'll bring another another story right horrible situation that people found themselves in that's just the subject matter (laughs) that is true that is true well until then until then i bid you adieu and thank you guys for being here adieu adieu to you and you if you feel like it, if you miss us, you can email us murderer, you know, at gmail.com. You can slide into our DMS or check us out on social media on Instagram and Facebook. We are murderer, you know, podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for spending your Thursday or Friday or Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day you're listening. Thanks for spending a, an hour with us. We appreciate it. We love you. Okay. Okay. Nothing else, mom? Nothing else. All right. Well, hope we're podcasting with some ducklings next week. Oh, we probably decided it was too soon. All right. Ducklings, two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.